What if someone's got the sense that they have been kind of working to keep up with the Joneses, and maybe they've had that sense for a while, like, ah, I know we've been doing this. This is – I don't want to keep using that measuring stick. What's the way out? Hmm. Yeah, I think keep up with God's people in a lot of ways. I mean, and I don't say that as a rivalry or envy way. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think to me we're meant to – we're not meant to look to one another as a standard, but we're meant to lean on one another. Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the family and discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Pastor Anthony Trussoni, the supported elder at Poland Baptist Church in Poland, Maine. All right, Tony. Well, we've uh, we've been refreshed, and uh, we are back at it for round two. So let me ask you a question. Did you have TBS, Turner Broadcasting Station, or whatever system, whatever it was, uh, growing up? Yes. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, yeah. I okay. assume you were like, you're from Georgia. I thought everybody in Georgia has it, right? I don't know about now. I don't have cable. But yes, uh, TBS was a, was a channel that we had when I was growing up. So TBS, though, was it was past, um, you know, the South. Because I remember, actually, I was excited when we got WGN, which you probably had WGN, right? Yep. Cubs games were on that. Cubs games, and it was around the time Sammy Sosa though we found out later that he was enhanced, but it was still fun to watch the ball <laughs> flying out of Wrigley. And so during that home run chase time, uh, I may have seen some Bulls games too. Michael Jordan was, you know, tailing up. So anyway, there was some, some good stuff with that. But with TBS, uh, did you ever watch any Braves games? Occasionally, yeah. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I wasn't as big of a baseball fan as I probably am now, but, you know, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed some of the Braves games. Yeah, and so because of, of TBS having a wider reach, more people view the Braves. And so, you know, you saw Chipper and Andrew Jones. Mm-hmm. And Chipper, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame. I think personally Andrew Jones deserves to be there too. We shall see. He's getting a little bit more votes as time gone has gone on. Um, but the proverbial saying about keeping up with the Joneses was uh, was often applied to them, and you get posters and before memes were really a thing. Um, and have you seen? You know, the, the Major League Baseball draft just happened, and uh, have, did you see Andrew Jones' son Drew? I did. I saw that. Who did he get drafted by again? He got drafted number two overall by the Diamondbacks. Okay, nice. Uh, yeah, and then apparently he hurt his shoulder in batting practice yesterday, but. Anyway, he see, he's, I've seen video of him. He seems a little ahead of where I was coming out of high school, um, we'll say. And uh, a lot of NL teams had trouble keeping up with the Joneses in that era. Uh, I mean, between the two of them, they had about 900 home runs, uh, two MVP awards. They won, or, well, Andrew won a bunch of gold gloves. I mean, it was a little bit like a video game. Um and so it was It was a lot of fun to watch. But, you know, when it comes to parenting, there are other Joneses that – proverbial Joneses that families uh, will try to keep up with, at least in our kind of affluent American setting. 
masks people around us, and they can put direct or indirect pressure on us, mm-hmm. um, and we want to be liked or we want to be viewed as normal or whatever they may the case, whatever the case may be. Um, maybe we just look around and see what we're not even necessarily thinking. I want to be accepted. We just go, well, this is what people are doing, and so mm-hmm. that's what we do. But we want to drill into that a little bit. That that may not be the we- the best way. Just trying to keep up with the Joneses around us. Um, so did you actually know any Joneses growing up? I did not, but I did watch Star Wars with a voice of James Earl Jones in it, as Darth Vader, of course. Okay, that'll work. So if you didn't know any Joneses, you weren't able to keep up with them. I mean, can, I I actually... honestly, can anyone keep up with Darth Vader? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> How about uh, you? Did you know any Joneses? I did, especially towards the end of high school and then when I got into college, uh, I worked for the Joneses, in which as I was going through this and preparing, I, it was occurred to me that I actually worked for a man named Andrew Jones, uh, who had a son named Drew. <laughs> um, they owned like seven car dealerships, so I was, at least in the financial sense, I was not keeping up with him. <laughs> I believe it. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, so where do parents, in their actual practice... Not necessarily saying where they should, but where in actual practice do parents learn how to parent, uh, what to do, what to avoid, what should matter to them as they raise their kids? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Before I answer it, though, I I am a little bit curious. Were you pretty chipper to be hired by Andrew Jones? (laughs) Well, he went by Andy, so it didn't ring out as much. But (laughs) I I was when I – because I didn't really know him as well. I knew his wife fairly well. And so then when I went for the interview – they asked me a couple of questions, and then the guy said, well, she wants you to have this job, so we're going to see what we can do. It's like, nice. well, that'll work for me. <laughs> to actually answer your question, then, I think usually um, their parents and or their friends, I think probably you'd be the biggest influence on parents, you know, and how they, you know, how they run to their parenting. Even I think a lot of times, you know, the we either try to not to be our parents or we try not to be our parents and end up being our parents. But, uh, you know, I've actually read uh, sometime uh, one time that one of the biggest influences on modernized parenting is actually TV families uh, and seeing how, you know, modern, you know, how the newest TV family reacts has a tendency to set the tone, which is probably not a good sign. I would hope the Bible and godly people really do that, uh, tell us what to do and what to avoid. But I suspect even among Christians, that's probably not the most common reason. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, our own parents, it's, it's hard to just unwrap yourself from your own experiences. And so whether they were really good or they were really bad, you take from that. And it may just be, well, I'm not going to do this. And some people just react to what their parents did or what they felt they did wrong. But uh, just the culture that you're in, there are certain things that you just take for granted, you assume is normal. And so, but I do think, yes, your friends, if you're drastically different from your friends, um, it is, you know, that would be atypical. Yeah. It is. Uh, well, Tony, we talked about the culture and all of that, <laughs> TV shows even. Uh, how do cultural forces and, and our cultural location affect the perspective that parents have? Yeah, I want to start by, you know, I'm a history nerd, uh, the, and to get into actually like the culture of grilling, of men grilling. Like, I, I think we all know that, like, I feel like most men, most fathers 
uh, grill out, you know, grill out for their family. And it's kind of a pride in summer, uh, you know, around here in Maine that we sadly will sometimes call it kind of cooking out, uh, that calling it uh, barbecue when you're actually not smoking anything. You need to be smoking meat if you're doing barbecue. But we, so we get that wrong around here in Maine. <laughs> so, you know, we need to pray for our part of the country. But, you know, regardless, there's kind of a culture where I, I feel like almost everywhere in America, you know, there's a kind of a, a thought that men, you know, men cook meat over an open fire. Would you agree with that? There is. I don't conform to that regularly. I actually currently don't have an outside grill, so I guess you have to take my man card. But Shame on you. I'm kidding. I have a smokeless indoor grill. <laughs> I mean, I like to do this stuff, but like, his, like that's kind of a relatively new thing. It's post-World War II. In fact, grilling has existed a long time, but it was mostly women that did it. And like the how it kind of came into, basically, more or less, early, the good parts of feminism kind of in, saw most men were not at home. So, you know, it used to be the case that most men would kind of go to the bar most nights and, uh, and it, you know, dads were very uninvolved. And so it was kind of thought that that was basically giving men something to do that they could that they could call manly that was actually at home. And then it became such a widely embraced thing that, you know, it's like most men do it. And I probably I wonder how much I I do that because feminist literature pushed it on our culture. Uh, in a good way, uh, then because I like it, you know, it's hard to really make that separation. I do, in fact, like it though. Uh, I was say you do like it a lot. I do like and it, and I a do lot. remember you actually <laughs> smoking things uh, when we lived in Louisville and fill the air with the aroma of the the smoking pork shoulder or whatever it was. Oh, I do a whole uh, lot more of it than I used to. So, but <laughs> you know, I I think another example of that was, I mean, I know a parent that is near and dear to me uh, that expressed to me that. Uh, they did. They've done well as parenting because their kid. Because they know they've done well because all their kids are happy, and that is, you know, that is a sentiment that no one would have said a hundred years ago. That mm-hmm. no one would say in you know rural Africa, uh, but you know around here another expression of it is even like camps. Like everybody, you know, most people, especially the public school in New England, will send their kids to summer camps. It's just kind of an expectation. We don't do it. We don't have the money. <laughs> you know, I mean, God provides for us, and our church provides for us generously. But we don't want to spend the money, <laughs> at least. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think it's kind of an expectation. You just do it. Everybody in New England does it. And it's be- everybody in New England does it because everybody in New England does it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you raised some good issues there. In, our, in the affluent West um, – you know, extracurriculars, uh, padding, college resumes, all that kind of stuff can be the focus. Where I mean, there's even people in the affluent West who don't fall into that bracket. Um, there are people who they don't have proper nutrition, medical care, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then you mentioned like rural Africa. They're not thinking about their kid's college resume. I mean, they're just like trying to survive. And so what is on their horizon is, is a lot different. And so when we have those basic needs met, um, it, it opens – and we live in a prosperous society. It's not inherently wrong. It's a good thing. But yeah. it does open the door to some new temptations and what we can start to think is necessary or good for our kids. Uh, and so just where we are cult- culturally can affect what we think is important. Yeah, I agree. Um so what does our American culture push us to think is necessary and good for kids, for teenagers, and how do those compare when we bring up the Bible? Yeah, so 
I think, uh, again, this is connects a lot to what you've said. I think kind of a mentality that, you know, we need our, our kids should be more successful than we were. You know, uh, every generation should be more successful. And, you know, that that's kind of almost the American dream that's sort of gone away. But even now, there's still kind of a mentality of that to a degree, uh, just in different ways. But uh, I think further, American culture often pushes us to think that it's necessary that uh, and good for kids and teenagers to always be entertained and to lack what is called FOMO, fear of missing out. Uh, it's a stupid word, but, <laughs> you know, this kind of sense that, especially common in Instagram culture, where, you know, you see somebody doing something, you want to do it. And mm. so a lot of these, like, rise of camps even is driven by, you know, your kid doesn't want to miss out. You don't want to be the parent that causes your kid to miss out. Uh, but, you know, at the same, and then scripture poses a very, very different picture. I, I think the most clear one is the one that we kind of have singing in the beginning of every podcast episode from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And so, I mean, to me, that crystal clearly defines what the Bible says uh, is, you know, our goal for our kids and success for our kids. Is What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, the way you ended that, that was absolutely right, that it's not so much that they make a certain amount of money, they have a certain amount of prestige, um, but that we teach them to fear the Lord, to love him, to obey him. I mean, Jesus has asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, to love the Lord your God. He repeats that. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. I, I think that's a big gap, a, a, a big you know Kenyan divide between mm -hmm. a lot of the things that American culture, at least, can prioritize. You mentioned success, you know, popularity, looking good, safety is another big one. We did mm -hmm. an episode recently about that, uh, about helicopter parenting and lawnmower parenting. Um, but safety... Uh, just being well-rounded, uh, the good life full of experiences. You're talking about FOMO. Well, they need to go to this camp, and they need to take music lessons, and they need to play this sport, and then they need to do this, and um, those kinds of things. Uh, they need to have great self-worth and self-esteem. Now, I mean, yeah, you can you can take that to the extreme mm -hmm. and just th that they have a po an improper view of themselves. That's not what we're saying, but – having good self-esteem is not the chief end of man. <laughs> yeah. um, reach for their dreams, be true to themselves. I mean, it kind of sounds like we're writing a, you know, the beginnings of a Disney movie, but um, which we also did recently, uh, did an episode on, but all these kinds of things that hit on the things that our, our culture just holds near and dear, highly individualistic, kind of materialistic, um, and some of it's just highly psychologized and just having positive, you know, if you've got your physical needs met, um, you're not thinking about the next meal or that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. You're thinking about self-actualization. And I mean, there's an element to which some of those things are not, they're not sinful by themselves, at least a lot of them, but they can be put into a place that they're not supposed to be. They can't just, they can't bear the weight. So what role does the fear of man play in parenting decisions, do you think? None. Next question. 
I'm kidding. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the clarity. Yeah, I, I think a, a significant one, both in the form of, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses and honestly keeping up with the kids is, you know, <laughs> with mm-hmm. kids. So, uh, you know, we oftentimes, I think, especially when we ask our kids to compromise and sacrifice for the sake of the Lord and the kingdom, we, I think, sometimes don't want to be seen as kind of, you know, that parent. Uh, you know, an example might be, you know, the popular kids film that we think is probably not a good thing or helpful for our kids, but everybody else in class is watching it. You know, we don't want to be the that parent that tells their kid no to those kind of things. And I think that can drive fear of man. Uh, but further, we, you know, we want our kids to like us oftentimes more than we love our kids. And I think every, um, I suspect, I'm not going to confidently say it, but I suspect every American parent has some struggle on that. Would you agree with that? it's hard to see where it wouldn't be present at least to some degree. But yeah, I remember, I don't even remember what the issue was, but I was in trouble about something and my dad was, was holding me to a standard and I was not teeny tiny. I mean, I I don't think I was like, you know, end of high school either, but he told me, I want to be your friend, but I have to be your dad. Mm. And so I'm, I'm going to step in. This is what we're doing um, because you have to learn this. And you know, it was a moment where he didn't fear my perception or what others would perceive about him. And I think that's, you know, at least in our context, again, with materialism and the affluence that we have, it can be a big motivator for making certain decisions or not making other ones. And the focus, rather than on what's best for our, my child in the end, what is best in terms of eternity, um, like a fellow we've had on a couple of times on our podcast, Chap Bettis. I heard him in an interview recently, and and I've heard him say this before. He said, but let's think about what's going to be best in the in terms of 10,000 years from now. Yeah. And looking at it from that big, big long-term time horizon, that goes, oh, okay. You know what? Maybe the travel ball or maybe the, the – summer camp or whatever it was maybe that may not be the best thing but instead the focus is on kind of how do we appear how do our kids appear yeah and i mean we want to be liked we want to be accepted we don't want to be viewed as some kind of you know crazy radicals or something yeah and so i think that gets in the mix um well how can we become if the, the culture does have this this influence on us whether we live in america or whether we live in rural africa how can we become more aware of our our own culture's influence on us in order to better evaluate our parenting decisions? Yeah, uh, I think to me, the more we are in the word uh, and, you know, maybe this seems too obvious, but I, I think it's necessary. The more that we're in God's word, the more we will see how we don't look like the word, how we reflect our culture more than we're reflecting God's word and God's truth. Uh, and so probably, I think, dive more into scripture and in it if you want to be more aware of that. So I, I think further, another thing you can read beyond the Bible is, uh, and I, maybe this is jumping a little ahead, but I think this is separate than your last question a little bit. Uh, but read something like, uh, there's a really good book. It's deep and thoughtful called Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. And I, it is really a way of exposing how a lot of the things that we assume, a lot of things that, you know, way that we look at the world is informed uh, not by scripture, 
but by our culture and by historical figures that were very, very, very far from Christians. Yeah, good, very good book. Yeah, I mean, it is not short and it is heady. It's interesting, and Carl Truman is a very good writer. Uh, but I do like what you said, though, that the more that we're in Scripture, we're, we hear God's voice there, we're confronted with, oh, this is what he calls us to. And so whether it doesn't matter what culture you're in, there's going to be ways where fallen people collected together form patterns and norms that go against God, against his uh, kingdom and his righteousness. And yeah. so no matter where you're at in the globe, there's going to be ways that God's ways are going to to rub up against that. And so that that is a obvious but a very yeah. helpful thing. Um, I think, I mean, pray for discernment on that. Ask God to give you the eyes to see that, to see through the lies or through misplaced priorities that your your culture may have just passed on to you that you've uh, adopted it without thinking. Uh, and give time. This kind of falls in what you're saying, reading. But give time to reflect on the things that you're assuming. I mean, mm -hmm. and it, that may not be this big, long extended thing, but just stopping and thinking, okay, what what am I assuming and is that – should I assume that? Uh, another thing, become aware of God's work in the global church particularly if you live in the affluent West. Now, we've got listeners sometimes that they are listening from other places in the world. Um, but something like the Voice of the Martyrs or other things that they, you know, hey, help Christians who are displaced from their homes. They got burned down, yeah. and they're trying to provide for their children. Suddenly, things get put in perspective. Um, I listened to this podcast, I guess just today, um, about Christians who were escaping from Afghanistan after the U.S. military withdrew and uh, the Taliban wiped everything out, or it took over very quickly, and uh, you know they're trying to to protect themselves and their children, and suddenly you know having the right brand of I don't know toothpaste or whatever for your kid to make sure they're not screwed up for life suddenly it's dwarfed, and you're like you know what mm -hmm. um, there's other things that matter more, and so having some awareness of that and even just your concern then you start praying for them maybe you give to them and become less concerned and maybe narcissistic of your own situation or you know with your kids making idols out of them yeah um you mentioned this in in your answer just a minute ago but what effects do you think biblical illiteracy have on parenting decisions and parenting priorities because it is a major issue, again, in the affluent West where we have all these resources and Bible translations and um, just an embarrassment of riches. But a lot of people don't know the Bible very well. Yeah, I, I think really we lack the truth from God's word when we don't have that kind of biblical literacy. So when we lack truth from God's word, you know, we look to what's around us. I mean, it's really similar to how, you know, I, I, there's a, a book that, uh, you know, I think is a really classic reveals the nature of man. Uh, but more than that, Lord of the Flies. And it, we you see basically these kids are stranded on an island. And so they, since they lack the wisdom of their parents, they're away from their parents, they come to ethical situation. And then they turn to the kids around them that are just as dumb as they are. And, you know, so <laughs> they make foolish decisions and destroy themselves. Uh, you know, and, and I think we should in light of that we should consider how few have a real idea 
that they are responsible for spiritual formation. I think this is, to me, uh, a realization of how bad the problem is. Uh, I mean, most people would say in some sense they are responsible, but, I mean, the passage we read, I mean, it's clear. Parents are to teach their children the things of God. And, and you know, that's a family worship being stressed is important because people it's not the only way to teach your children but people have thrown away the idea of teaching your children about the things of god in the home basically all together among most christians in our world and i think that only comes from a a significant lack of biblical literacy uh you know i think the reality though is we can't rely um, I'm sorry, we can't properly see our chief end if we're ignoring our source, though. And so, as a result, our parenting is going to become a muck. I mean, our kids' focus is going to become completely driven away if we're not basing our chief end, our purpose, and discipling them based upon what God's word, our source for truth, says. Yeah, I think you bring up some good, some interesting things there. I think there are some people, they do realize that, and at least the stuff I've read from findings of some, some studies, they realize the importance of the responsibility that God had put before them, but they had no clue on where to start, what to do, how to do it. It hadn't been done for them, and so then because they felt inadequate for it, they didn't feel equipped, they just really didn't do anything. Um, now, some of that data that I saw it's over a decade old now. I don't know how that's changed mm-hmm. since then. Um, but I think you're right. There's others who don't re- – they think we live in a culture that defers to expertise or pseudo-expertise in some ways. Now, you also have yeah. the whole phenomenon of people on the internet and who people will latch on to something they say and they really are not that specialized in, um, in whatever yeah. the field may be. But I think that you know if you have – parents who are not really comfortable with the Bible uh, or how it would play a role in their schedule, their budget, their priorities, whatever, so it, it doesn't get brought to bear on there, or they're not really familiar with the big emphases of the teachings of Scripture on parenting. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the thing is, the Bible is not a parenting handbook, but it does address it. But it's not just the particular passages that speak about parenting that are of relevance. There's a lot more that goes to it, like seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, don't worry about tomorrow. I mean, those things affect how you parent. You could sit there and gnaw your fingernails off, concerned about this or about that. Yeah. Um, or we're gonna try to, you know, make Johnny the best soccer player or whatever. Um, and come hell or high water, that's probably not seeking God's kingdom first. Um, and so, I mean, you can play that out in a lot of ways. But I think in some ways this can be an overlooked aspect in the conversation that. Um, there are some who do know, and they just choose to try to have a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom. There's others that just don't know as much as we might assume they do or that they should know. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of reasons for that. Some is, is lack of personal Bible reading. Some is the way churches have preached and, and taught. Um, it's not just one single thing, but it's something that I think we have a heart in the how many of our episodes we've done to try to push up against that and send people to God's word uh, for it because it does address what should be most important to us. Whether it is or not, that, that's a different issue. But what God says, these are the things you should be most concerned about uh, in this life I've given you. Well, what role does the church play in discipling parents and discipling young people to be formed by God's voice and his priorities that he gives us in Scripture? 
even while we acknowledge that the culture is going to shape them, like that is inescapable. Um, and, and what about the limited time that churches have to do that compared to the hundreds of hours, you know, like each week over a hundred hours spent away from the gathered church? So one thing I'm thankful for in this, as I think about the question is I'm thankful that, you know, we have less hours shaping the next generation, but the hours that we have, if we're relying upon the means of the Lord, have the power of the Holy Spirit behind them, you know, and so it's to me, and a lot of ways it's not comparable, but yes, I do understand somewhat the point in that, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I do think it's, um, that in light of that reality of, you know, the world catechizing constantly, uh, you know, away from it, I think it's right uh, to do things like parenting classes, you know, or encouragement uh, to really help people to get kind of the root of our cultural stew uh, and understand what's going on as parents do. You know, I think that there's a role in the preaching ministry is a role and, you know, even extra things that the church offers. Uh, but I think in a lot of ways, to me, a lot, you know, this boils down to and helping parents. I mean, churches, especially church leaders, have a responsibility to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the work of ministry isn't meaning just equip them so that they can, you know, serve in nursery once a month. Uh, the work of ministry can be helping disciple your kid in light of a culture that's discipling them away from truth, discipling them to the keeping up of the Joneses. What do you think, Ben? Good stuff. And yeah, you talk about that we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And the good news is to the parents, if they've got the Spirit, the time that they spend away from the church doesn't have to just all go up in a, you know, a blaze. Yeah. The Spirit can be at work in that. But I know um, on Wednesdays, I, I try to make it a point to pray for uh, our programming that's happening for children that that's evening, good. as well as for their students and the men and the women's Bible studies that are going on. Um, and then to pray for just the next generation that's rising up from our church as well as, I mean, even globally. And I, I do, that's something, um, Truth 78, uh, formerly Children's Desire in God, they sent out something a couple of years ago of asking people to commit to pray to that. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to set a reminder uh, um, on Wednesday and just pray for that, that God would raise a, a generation who's zealous for his name. They see that his, his ways are not just true, but they're good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but in that also praying for their parents and I'm probably, you know, more concerted in my efforts, praying for parents in our own church, because that is going to be a shaping influence. Now, yeah. certainly, like you said, the Holy spirit can just take a hold of someone and send them on a new trajectory away from the world and away from mm -hmm. the Joneses. But he also works through means. It's not always, spectacular and so you know asking god for the parents to have that kind of a desire and so yeah you better pray <laughs> knowing that the world's out there discipling them you better pray and give spe specific attention to it um i think even the way you preach the way you teach in your public prayers um in in your friendships with people yeah um, that can be a, a way and just they see what you do or what you don't do. Or you, you ask questions about, hey, do this. Um, something that we've done, I honestly I don't know how effective and maybe eternity will show. It's something I've, I've tried to emphasize, probably not done a great job at, and I want to keep drawing people's attention to it. But uh, we put these posters up in our children's ministry spaces, and then outside those, 
was two where parents could see him. So we want workers to see him, but we also want the parents to see him. And we just I made this big list of um, different verses or themes in scripture and it put in different categories and then just put them on these posters um, and rotate them out however often um, and just drawing people big, bold biblical prayers or something like that. And I, I borrowed the title largely from uh, Truth 78, mm-hmm. but getting people to pray the Bible. This is what the Bible says is important, not just that they'll be healthy and strong and get a good job and make a bunch of money, um, none of which are bad, but you know, praying that they wouldn't fear the world, but they would fear the Lord, and just different things like that, drawing people's attention to it. Um, and so I think there's a way we can be intentional. And trying to start building – I mean the church is a counterculture. It, it is a, a kingdom within the world's kingdom, within the dominion of darkness. And so trying to just really intentionally build a counterculture that is not trying to keep up with the Joneses doesn't mean that we have to go like live on a compound and wear burlap sacks and just do weird stuff like that. Uh, at the same time, though, it's okay if we're late adopters of things. Um, watching and seeing or not just jumping on every bandwagon that comes through. Although um, speaking of every jumping on every bandwagon, in light of the fact that uh, you know ripped jeans seem to be coming back again, I do wonder at what point uh, it's seen as the height of fashion to wear a burlap sack. <laughs> Why don't you try and start it, man? <laughs> that would be awesome. Go up there to preach, and <clears throat> I'm doing my I'm trying to be like John the Baptist here. Uh. <laughs> um, I say go for it. So kind of, I mean, this is just connecting a next step, but if we imitate the patterns and the priorities and the habits of the culture around us, we we keep up with the Joneses in a lot of ways, Uh, a lot of the lost people around us, what kind of outcomes should we expect? Yeah, I definitely think we should expect our children to identify more with a culture than with God's people, especially. And that's going to be significant. I mean, I've never heard of a case where you're trying to do that, you know, trying to, you know, keep up uh, where the the kids don't end up drifting away from the church because the church is so fundamentally the local church is one of the most countercultural things that Christians do, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it really, I mean, I, I think especially, I mean, we, I live in New England, nobody goes to church, and uh, you know, if uh, I mean, if we raise our kids in that way to kind of blend in, we should not even remotely. Why would they go to church? Why would they value? the local church? Why would they not see this as something that's fundamentally redundant or boring if we don't uh, raise them away from these kind of things, if we embrace the world around us? So, uh, you know, uh, I think that uh, the, uh, that uh, I think we will see in another generation further that's like ours. You know, I think our generation, I think probably the generation before, has been a generation of American Christians that's like limp fish when it comes to engaging the world for the gospel. You know, I, I've seen, uh, I saw a kind of a meme, and memes are not helpful sometimes, but it was like, uh, you know, the uh, Christians in China, you know, get thrown in prison for sharing, for sharing the gospel, and they share the gospel anyway. That Christians in North Korea get killed for sharing the gospel, they share the gospel anyway. Christians in America feel like that, uh, realize it's totes awkward to share the gospel. Don't share the gospel. 
And uh, I wonder if a lot of that is because of really embracing the culture too much. Mm. Yeah, and we're in the unique position of, of Christianity having enjoyed such traction and privilege. Yeah, that doesn't mean everybody was a Christian, but it was even, like I've heard D.A. Carson talk about, even an, an atheist was sort of a Christian atheist. The, the God they yeah. didn't believe in was the Christian God. Um, now that is changing, but I think a key distinction for us to make too is the patterns and the priorities, the habits of the culture, is it simply cultural things? So like you mentioned living in New England and everybody's, you know, you I don't know if everybody does this, but you know, you're you're eating clam chowder, and lobster <laughs> and butter, stuff like that. Um, or do you like the Red Sox? And uh, those are more just sort of neutral things. But there's other things that relate specifically to Christ and to his people. And so if we're trying to live a Christian life, even say, well, yeah, we're going to try to follow Jesus, we're just sort of cutting the church out of the picture. Well, Jesus said you can't follow him that way. He said you got to follow me with my people, all this one another stuff. Yeah. Um, and so he doesn't give us that option to have like this privatized version of it. And so, yeah, I, I think that is, is key for us to think about. But, yeah, I don't think we should expect good things. I mean you may see if, if that's what a generation or several generations do, the future of the church in America would not be good. Um that doesn't mean that the the hope of of the church is is gone. Yeah, I mean we've we've read the the book and we know how it ends. Jesus will win, and but I, we, we can't try to follow Jesus on different terms than he himself has given us. I mean, how arrogant! Amen. You know, so, I was going to tell you by the way though that calling a lobster roll a neutral thing uh, to a mana is, uh, you know, it's uh, <laughs> likely to get you in a lot of trouble. That being said, probably won't, considering we have the lowest violent crime rate in the country, but uh, at least it'll get you some looks. You would be uh, in Maine, call, they call people from out of state, which was uh, would include me uh, as being, like, we are called from away, and uh, you'd be the most from away if you don't appreciate good Maine lobster rolls. Now, I don't know if you went to like Boston or something, maybe actually violence would happen. I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> go, to, go to the right part. Um, so I, I didn't prepare you for this one. I thought about this one later, though. But what if someone's got the sense that they have been kind of working to keep up with the Joneses? And maybe they've had that sense for a while. Like, ah, I know we've been doing this. This is I don't want to keep using that measuring stick. What's the way out? Hmm. Yeah, I think. Keep up with God's people in a lot of ways. I mean, and I don't say that as a rivalry or envy way. You know, I, I think to me we're meant to. We're not meant to look to one another as a standard, but we're meant to lean on one another. And, and I think that it tends to be the case that, you know, even those who kind of have this kind of isolationist, you know, we're, we're, we're the people who think biblically and don't think together with other Christians. Uh, they, they end up thinking worldly in ways that they don't realize. And so to me, I think invest in other believers be open and transparent and honest uh, with uh, one another and help one another uproot a sin and lost worldview in life. And to me, I mean, that means we, we look for parental relationships, which are key. You know, parents are often friends with other parents, and we look for ones that are going to help us realize the lies that we believe. So I don't know. I mean, it was kind of that I didn't think about the question before, so hopefully that's helpful for people. I thought it was great. Um... Yeah, candid answer, and uh, I like what you said there. Yeah, it goes back to the role of the church in the Christian life. 
um, it is just it's vital. And we want to, because I mean, Paul said, "Follow me as I follow Christ." Well, Christians in his time and place and culture could see, okay, well, this is Paul. How Paul relates to food sacrifice to idols or these kinds of things. That's not an issue we deal with directly. I mean, we don't know what what Paul would have done. Would he have had an electric car? Or would he have had a gasoline engine? I, we don't know. Um, but you can surround yourself with godly people who are very intentionally trying to to live in the the ways of God's uh, kingdom than the kingdom of this world and go, all right. And not that you just copy everything, but yeah, like you talk about it. Yeah. Um, like, I'm not sure what to do about this. Should I sign my kid up for this or should I care about this or just go on? So are, are there any resources that you'd recommend to parents to help them frame their parenting around what God says should be most important? Yeah. Rather than the Joneses? I have uh, kind of one and many resources at the same time. So there is a, li- a book of us, there is a series of little books called Help for Parents series. It's made by and 10 Publishing, which comes from 10 of those. I think 10 of, 10 of those is a British ministry. Maybe it's an Australian. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's uh, from another English-speaking country. And they have it's these... from away? Yes, yeah, from away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not Mena. Uh, and they have these little booklets uh, that, you know, kind of respond to a variety of ways in which we're kind of catechize in the world and help parents in it. One, I have up, for example, a link up on WTSbooks.com, which is a great place to buy books, and you can trust the books there, unless they're about infant baptism. Is raising, te- <laughs> raising teens in a hyper-sexualized world uh, help for Christian parents? But there's all kinds of little books like that, and they're short, and they they must do them at loss, because I think right, right now I see some of them at like 250 a pop, uh, pop so... Yeah, I've got another one. I think it's from the same author in that series, um, and it's how to raise teens in a screen saturated mm-hmm. world. Yeah. Um, so we actually gave that away to parents at a, a family conference thing we did here a couple years ago. But yeah, good good tip there. Another one that, and I mentioned him earlier, but Chat Bettis, and this is a much bigger book, uh, but the disciple making parent. I think he does a good job. At, he addresses a lot of big picture theological things. That, but then also very practical things. And it's not just for parents of young children. It's for parents across the board as they think about the role that God has given them. And you quoted Deuteronomy 6 earlier, um, that how do we do that? And Matthew 28, go make disciples. That's what we're after, not just to make someone who's happy or well-adjusted or had a good life, uh, got a lot of experiences. We're trying to, to help them to become like Jesus, to trust him and to obey him. And so Chap addresses those issues, I think, with a lot of wisdom. Uh, if you buy the book on Amazon, you also just can contact them and the the Apollos Project, and they will give you the audio book for free, which is nice. And so uh, a lot of people enjoy having that available. So I would commend it to you. Um, but thanks for listening, and uh, thanks, Tony, for thinking about this with me. And thanks to my wife for suggesting this topic. I was the other day. I was like, "What? What can I come up with?" Uh, it's like Spurgeon. I heard he would he'd be talking to his wife like Saturday night. Mother, what what am I going to preach tomorrow? Yeah, uh, <laughs> didn't quite phrase it like that, but I was running up against the clock, and she came up with this idea. So, um, but don't try to keep it with the Joneses. Try to keep it with Jesus and His people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. 
If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.